Hello and welcome to a very special winter holiday episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. In this episode, I'll talk all about how evergreen trees have held historical prominence in holidays centered around the winter solstice. We'll shine a specific light on the modern-day Christmas or Yuletide tree and discuss what I look for in the perfect tree to light up my living room during the darkest time of year. As you may expect, Christmas trees are some of my favorite trees. Let's talk about the winter solstice. Why do humans care about this celestial moment? Prior to the advanced technology of our modern age, it was hugely important to know when days would start to get longer again. Understanding the timing of the seasons in regards to expected daylight hours and weather was essential for proper agricultural practices, travel plans for international trade, hunting, and more. Ancient civilizations tended to use religion to explain how the universe worked, so it was natural to incorporate such an important event into their belief systems. Every culture uses certain aspects of the natural world as symbolism for these beliefs, and in several different societies, a common symbol used during the solstice was evergreen plants. Ancient Egyptians had a pantheon of gods, with Ra, the sun, being at the forefront. Egyptians saw winter as a time when Ra was sick, as he was showing up for shorter times each day. The solstice marked the event when Ra would start recovering from his illness, and the occasion would be celebrated with evergreen palm leaves to symbolize the triumph of life over death. Ancient Romans celebrated the solstice with a holiday called Saturnalia, and would use evergreen boughs to symbolize the green future that was to come with longer days. And druids of Celtic religions in northern Europe decorated their temples in evergreen boughs during the solstice to symbolize life everlasting. This theme is consistent throughout these celebrations and more, using evergreen trees to bring hope that while the rest of the world's plant life dies or turns dormant in the winter, life persists somewhere. So then let's look at this from the perspective of science. Why do some trees keep their leaves all year long while others drop them? Whether or not a tree is evergreen or deciduous is a determination that is fairly consistent with all living things. Organisms do what they do because it increases their chance of survival. If environmental conditions allowed, I think most trees would be more inclined to be evergreen. For starters, evergreen trees are generally adapted to more easily retain water. In latitudes further from the equator, you typically see evergreen trees have needle-shaped leaves or something similar with a much lower surface area. While leaves are responsible for taking in sunlight and nutrients from the atmosphere, they are also the mechanisms for releasing water vapor, a sort of exhale that we call transpiration. The larger the surface area of the leaf, the more it transpires and ultimately loses water. But if you were to travel to the jungles closer to the equator, you might find evergreen trees that have big leaves. These leaves have their own adaptations, characteristics like being very thick and leathery or being covered in tiny hairs, each of which contribute to the tree being able to better hold on to their water. 
On top of this, evergreen trees that coexist with deciduous have the advantage of getting a jumpstart on spring to quickly begin working on a new growing season. Deciduous trees need to first use a lot of energy they stored over winter to produce new leaves before they take in new energy from the sun and air. So what then are the advantages for winter dormancy? Broader leaves are definitely able to take in more energy from the sun during the growing season, but there is just not enough energy available where it gets cold and dry to keep that going all year. By dropping their leaves, no energy is wasted in winter, unlike evergreen trees which do need to send trickles of energy to the leaves so they stay both fed and resistant to freezing temperatures. Exceptions in nature always exist, and one of these is a group of trees called larches or tamaracks. The needles on these conifer species will turn yellow in the fall and ultimately drop for the winter season. Every species is different. The larch doesn't waste the energy on their needles, and by not risking having their foliage dry up, they actually become more resistant to fire. What makes more sense to you, being evergreen or being deciduous? In the wintry context of this episode, it might be obvious when you think about how one category stays colorful and vibrant, while the other is naked and sad. That may not be the only determinant for whether or not a tree is great, but it is very easy to understand how humans, when the world turns dark and cold, have turned to evergreens as a sign that no matter how bad things seem to get, life persists. Looking forward to modern times, it's hard to dispute that Christmas is one of the most celebrated holidays in the world. While I understand it's not the only winter holiday worth recognizing, it is the biggest winter holiday that has a tree front and center in its celebration. And well, this is a tree podcast after all. But before I go on, I would like to give a quick shout out to some of the other winter holidays people are celebrating around the world. Shout out to Hanukkah, a Jewish holiday. Y'all get eight days with your holiday. That's pretty cool. Your menorah has many branches and kind of looks like a tree in that regard. Good job, Hanukkah. Shout out to Kwanzaa, a secular holiday. Kwanzaa comes from the Swahili phrase, Matunda ya Kwanzaa, which means first fruits of the harvest. The fruits we harvest are usually grown on trees. Good job, Kwanzaa. Shout out to Bodhi Day, a Buddhist holiday. Bodhi Day is to celebrate the day the Buddha achieved enlightenment under a Bodhi tree. Hold on, this holiday heavily involves a tree? Okay, well, next year's holiday special is going to be about the Bodhi tree. Mark your calendars. Shout out to all the other winter holidays. I can't come up with clever things for all of you. I'm sorry. But now that I've paid my respect to cultural diversity, let's get back to the Christmas tree and learn where this holiday tradition came from. The older winter solstice celebrations weren't the only things that have used evergreen trees to represent eternal life standing tall against death. This was also an important theme in the stories about Jesus of Nazareth, with the use of palm leaves just like the Egyptians. This definitely becomes more important with Palm Sunday, but that's more of an Easter thing and not Christmas, so we're not going to go any further into that. But with evergreen trees already holding importance during the Romans' pagan Saturnalia solstice holiday, it made for a smooth transition when Christians replaced it with their own celebration of life triumphing over death. 
but for a while, the evergreen boughs only existed as an exterior decoration on buildings. Bringing the tree into the house is first credited to 16th century Germans, and Martin Luther himself is sometimes credited with the idea of adding festive lights to the tree. This spawned all sorts of regionally variable traditions surrounding the tree. Too many to relay, but all of them lots of fun. Fast forward a couple hundred years, and we find the Germans bringing their culture with them to America, and spreading the good fun of taking trees and putting them inside. Americans at the time were still very Puritan, and thought this was a silly practice. Some more strict American Christians considered it straight-up insulting to their super-serious holiday. Also, Puritans were really not into nature, because nature is what pagans liked, and pagans apparently all worship Satan. Are those some witches you hear in those woods casting spells for their dark lord? Nope, it's just your old pal Thomas, and I'm not casting spells. I'm just saying hi to all those trees using their Latin names. But by the mid-19th century, Queen Victoria of England got behind the whole indoor Christmas tree idea. And just like the Beatles, Americans decided that they were really, really into this new British trend. But just like Americans always do, we decided to make the whole thing as big as possible. You see, Germans originally were just okay with little trees. You know, like three or four feet, maybe a meter or so tall. Not too much grandeur, just cute little buddies. But Americans needed those trees as big as you could get, as tall as the ceiling or taller. And the splendor of the practice just grew from there. These days, major cities will put up all kinds of massive green beacons to celebrate the season. I think my mind pretty quickly goes to the Rockefeller Center tree, because New York City just kind of has that effect. I've never seen it myself, but standing at an average of 70 feet tall each year, even 100 feet in 1948, I have to imagine it's pretty nice. I say pretty nice because there are way bigger Christmas trees out there. In 1950, a Seattle shopping center boasted the world's largest cut Christmas tree, which was a 221-foot-tall Douglas fir. Rio de Janeiro has a metallic Christmas tree that's even bigger than that. And I gotta say, Christmas in Rio sounds incredible. That city already knows how to party, but considering that Christmas is in summer down there, and this massive shining metal tree floats on its own island that you can swim to? Unreal. Now let's talk about what makes for a good Christmas tree, starting with real versus fake trees. My short answer right off the bat is that I think real trees are superior. And that might surprise some of you. Wait, Thomas, you're okay with cutting down so many trees every year just to put in your house to die? Yeah, I am. As I discussed in my first episode about trees in general, humans are very dependent on wood. And in the face of that, many modern countries have developed sustainable forest management practices that involve us regrowing our forests faster than we can cut them down. And with a healthy demand for Christmas trees comes more forests. Sure, the U.S. tree farms cut down 30 million trees each year for Christmas on average. But that is out of 350 to 500 million trees that these farms are growing each year. So you can tell me that tree farms are businesses to cut trees down, but when you look at the numbers, tree farms are way more of an industry that is growing forests. Forests that take in carbon from the atmosphere and provide habitat for wildlife. Admittedly, on top of all this, I do have a personal bias, as I was raised in a family that used real trees every year. I feel like the tradition of purchasing a real tree was incredibly rich. I loved going to tree farms every year and running through these mini forests trying to get lost. 
These farms often put a lot of effort into their decor, sometimes even having cute little holiday shops. I loved the drive home when me and my sister would watch the tree strapped to the roof the whole ride home, making sure it wasn't going to just fall off and demolish the car behind us. All of these little things contribute to what made this holiday so festive and fun. At the same time, I know folks whose festive memories are based around fake trees as well. Their family just has the one tree, or the same multiple trees, and that is their Christmas tree. And as long as you pack it well, you don't have to worry about it being lopsided or having holes like real trees have the potential to be, since they're imperfect. You have just as much fun decorating it, and you don't need to spend all the effort of watering it regularly or cleaning up after the shedding needles. Sure, it may not have the same presence and smell that a live tree does, but tree-scented candles exist for a reason. The biggest point I want to make with fake trees is if that's the direction you want to go in, you better get a tree that you're going to use for a long time. For the obvious financial reason that it's more cost-effective, but for environmental reasons as well. Most fake trees are made in China, so shipping them around the world is going to have a much higher carbon cost than driving to a tree farm and cutting a tree down. And when a fake tree is officially retired, that's just more plastic or metal in a landfill or our oceans. I get that they're so much more manageable, just make sure you take care of yours. But say you do go with a real tree. What tree species is the best for this? Again, I have a short answer right up front, and it's that I think fir trees are the best Christmas trees. I actually originally drafted this episode to be about fir trees, but later decided to expand the topic into something broader. When it comes to the different fir species though, I don't have too much of a preference. Balsam, Fraser, Noble, White Fur. I think they're all great. Furs are very fragrant. That Christmas tree smell the candle companies make is always based on fur. They also have a good conical shape to them, and if they end up having holes or patches, they tend to be easy to cover up. Their limbs aren't always the strongest for heavier ornaments, but I do tend to be a minimalist. I mentioned that big Seattle Douglas fur earlier, but Douglas furs aren't real furs. They're all in the pine family, but Douglas firs belong to a separate genus entirely. Now, this would be a great excuse to talk about taxonomy, but my Christmas present to you is that I'm not going to have one of those ridiculous rants in this episode. Douglas firs make fine Christmas trees too. They're native to the Rocky Mountains and the West Coast, so if you're in those areas, definitely not a bad option. What about spruces? Spruces are not among my favorite trees. Blue spruces admittedly have a great color to them, and they usually don't have the patchiness problem that other species do. And their limbs are stronger. But their needles are notoriously very pokey. I like to say they make for bad neighbors. If you try to shake their hands and give them the old how do you do, they will stab your hand. Good luck hanging ornaments for hours on those nasty boys. They're also not super fragrant. What about pine? Also, not a great Christmas tree in my opinion. I do love pines, but in the adolescent stage they're in at Christmas tree height, they look pretty awkward. The density of branches is pretty low compared to other evergreens, and that combined with their bushy needle bundles just doesn't make for as good a look. But they smell good, and the limbs are more flexible, so I would heartily recommend using the pine boughs for other natural decorations, like wreaths to hang on your doors and walls. And don't use larger tamarack. They drop their needles for the winter. That one, that one should be obvious. Beautiful trees, though. Big fan of larches. 
at the end of the day, whatever Christmas tree tradition that makes you happy is the only one that really matters. This holiday season, I want you all to be like a Christmas tree, or any other evergreen used for winter solstice holidays. Stand as a beacon of life and hope against a world that may otherwise be dark and cold. Personally, I will be like a Christmas tree by being something that obviously belongs outside in the woods, but you, for whatever reason, have dragged inside. Happy holidays, everyone. Stay safe. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter at MyFavoriteTrees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. Unless it's a spruce. <laughs> <laughs>